0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Inside the Digital Health and Sales Locker Room. I am your host, Josh Pappas. And as a reminder, I am the Director of Sales and Lead Early Health System Partnerships for Tendo. Very excited for episode number seven to welcome Dr. John Jeffries to the podcast. Dr. Jeffries is the J. Michael Sullivan Distinguished Chair in Cardiology. He is the President of the American Heart Association Mid-South Chapter he is the team cardiologist for the Memphis Grizzlies in the NBA, and he is also the governor of the American College of Cardiology, Tennessee chapter. Episode seven, we continue our exploration on fee-for-service versus value-based care. And I am looking forward to welcome you know one of the most interesting people I know in digital health and health systems, Dr. John Jeffries. Enjoy the episode and make sure to download wherever you download podcasts. Enjoy. Excited to welcome to the podcast, Dr. John Jeffries. Welcome, Dr. Jeffries. You're you're, you're good with John, correct?
1: Absolutely. Well, I excited think.
0: to have you on the on the podcast. Um, I'm sure my intro doesn't do you justice, so would love for you to introduce yourself to the listeners a little bit about why you got into healthcare and uh, anything that's relevant.
1: Yeah, it's all made up anyway. All that intro. No, seriously. <laughs> I, uh, uh, so I. Uh, I'm a cardiologist in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm the current governor of the American College of Cardiology here for the state and the president of the Mid-South chapter of the American Heart Association. And also, I'm the cardiologist for the Memphis Grizzlies, so go Grizz. Um, but uh, my background's a little circuitous compared to most people. I did a thing called internal medicine pediatrics or med-peds as a residency, so that's combined daily adult and pediatric medicine. I got a master's in public health, then went on to do um, first of its kind combined uh, cardiology fellowships down in Houston. So I did adult cardiology at a place called the Texas Heart Institute, and then I did my pediatric cardiology at Texas Children's Hospital, and I stayed on faculty there, acquired sort of a, a learning or a love for heart failure, which is kind of my primary uh, devotee, I guess, as a as a a sub-sub-specialty in cardiovascular medicine, do that in both adults and kids. But the other thing is I acquired a learning for genomics. So Baylor and Houston's kind of the epicenter for sequencing of the DNA and genomics and genetics. So kind of built my career path based on what's called heritable cardiovascular diseases. So uh, things that you can be transmitted through your genetic material. And that's pretty common stuff. A lot of things that um, people are familiar with. And everything in cardiology has some genetic underpinnings. They're just not always as obvious. Uh, and then have been doing that for a while. Moved to Memphis about four and a half years ago um, to, to run the cardiology program here. I've uh, been blessed have about 250 pu- peer-reviewed publications. I'm an editor of a couple of textbooks along with a few of my friends. Um, we do a lot of work that's NIH-funded and then industry-funded. And then uh, in May, I'll be uh, graduating with a master's in business administration from the Wharton School of Business at the University of Pennsylvania. So that's kind of, I guess, me in a nutshell. i have, uh married, have two wonderful kids, and like to play golf and tennis and that sort of stuff when I get a chance, which isn't frequently enough, so...
0: Perfect. Well, thank you and welcome for welcome to the podcast, Doctor Jeffries. John and I actually had chances to meet um, our paths crossed when I was doing some RPM hospital at home work with Bioformis, and got the cool opportunity to come out to Memphis. and He treated me with some good Memphis barbecue there there in the office. So um, that was that, that, that was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Um well good. Well, before we jump into some of the uh juicier segments, um would love to you know hit, hit you with some icebreakers So um unique background for sure. So let's let's start off with you know maybe your best story being a teen cardiologist and and maybe how you even got into that.
1: Yeah. Um you know I I'd say it's not necessarily an individual story, it's just kind of a cool component that that I get to review the data. On people are going to become NBA professional players, right? And as a part of that, I'm a part of a network of cardiologists across the country for all the NBA. And um, so it, it's a pretty serious business when you think about the impact that these players can have on a team, on their community, on society, on finances. And so you want to make sure that you're that they're healthy and doing well. And so I, I think that's the biggest resonance for me is just the responsibility and making sure that they're echocardiograms are okay and their electrocardiograms are okay and all that kind of stuff and it, but it's a lot of fun. And because of that, obviously we have have a great relationship with the team, with the, you know, some of the ownership and that's been uh, probably the most enjoyable part is just seeing really what the NBA is all about. And it's, it's a big business, a big deal. And being in medicine, you're never really exposed to that kind of, you know, behind the curtain sort of stuff until you get into these sorts of positions. But it it's been it's been great. Obviously, Grizz are doing really well this year. Uh, they had a good showing in the All Star game last night. So we'll see how how things go. Um, so I've enjoyed it, and uh, I got into it. Um, I, I've always had a career that's sort of based. On, so most of the things that would affect an NBA player are back to genetic material. So things like hypertrophic cardiomyopathy or some sort of uh, connective tissue disease like Marfan syndrome, all those things are genetically triggered. So how I got involved was just they sort of knew my expertise and were kind enough to include me in some of those things. And then it just sort of grew organically
0: from there. That's exciting. And it's it is an exciting time to be To be a part of the Memphis Grizzlies, I would argue the most exciting um, there in the NBA. Well, well, cool. And then before we we jump in, if you could kind of go to dinner with a sports star or or if you've had a really kind of unique uh, sports star that that you had a chance to go to dinner with, uh, what would it be? Yeah,
1: I'd probably go off script a little bit. I mean, I guess talking about basketball, but I, I think current and I'd have to think about historically living or dead. It might be a bigger discussion, but currently... I'd probably go with Lionel Messi. Um, I think uh, when I think about what he's accomplished, we're, we're big fans. And, um, you know, obviously basketball is a big sport, especially in the U.S. And we're here we're very football-centric in the United States. But when you think about the impact that soccer has worldwide, pretty mm-hmm. impressive. And um, for him to have finally win a cup and, you know, all the things that he's done – I just think he's amazing. Obviously, I need to go to dinner with a translator because I don't speak Spanish very well. But that being said, um, I think that's probably the guy I would go because, I mean, he is so, he's had so many ups and downs. He's been vilified, he's been revered, you know, now he's sort of demigod status kind of a thing. And um, just kind of getting an idea of how that has all transpired. And just to be around one who, you know, uh, legitimately, Probably is the greatest of all time at this point. I mean, easy argument. He's at least in the top two or three. And I think because obviously I didn't grow up watching Maradona or Pelé. I mean, I think he probably is the guy that makes uh, a lot of sense for me. So I, I think if I can go with Messi and get a few autographed jerseys, I'd do
0: that. Exactly. Yeah, that would be fantastic. And then I think he, he, slight chance he might end up you know, on the back end of his career. I heard Certainly. the rumor mill down down in Miami in the MLS, which would be cool. I think just as as, as we're getting ready to host the World Beckham, Cup, and
1: we had Beckham, we had Ibrahimovic, we've had a few people here in the states that have come over and played. So maybe we'll see. Great. And, well, let's and dig in. Oh, so, you know. So the cup's coming, uh, coming over, uh, so we'll, we'll be able to watch a few matches. We'll see.
0: Great. Yeah, so let's dig in a little bit. So we do some segments. They're kind of focused on digital health, different health topics, but they kind of have a sports theme. So um, let's go ahead and start with the top 10, bottom 10. So what are the you reasons why I started the podcast, right, is to just kind of share experience. Obviously, I on the digital health sales side. But I think that there's a lot of knowledge to, in this new frontier of how we look to advance technology and kind of that vendor relationship. So I know that you've seen, you know, a lot of it. So um, from a top 10, bottom 10, your experience, you kind of take away whichever way you want to go to of being sold to as, as a health system executive.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think uh, important
0: questions for sure. I think
1: the thing that I'm, would put at the top, at least in my current role, is a couple of years ago when I came in, the system we were in were very, this, the conversations they had about different cardiovascular technologies were very siloed. So they would talk to this person about a stent, and this person about a wire, and this person about a pacemaker, and this person about XYZ, right, or a valve, or whatever. And to me, that seemed like a missed opportunity. So what I did be two years ago is we actually had leadership from all of the major vendors that we dealt with as a system come to town and basically present all of the technologies, all of the opportunities, all of the synergies, right? And so if we do go with a certain vendor, not just looking at one technology in this silo and one technology in this silo, but how can we sort of bridge or overlap all of those technologies to have more synergy, right? it's unusual that a cardiovascular patient only gets one of those technologies or one of those interventions. It's going to be kind of rare in the current era. And so, and that ended up uh, creating some inherent synergies, both between the health system and the vendors, but also um, saved, you know, created some value uh, on both ends of the spectrum. And, and I feel like, You know, uh, for better or worse, I was probably the driver for those conversations. So I feel like that was something that I'm proud of, uh, especially at that time. I had real no business knowledge. I was just a you know, I was a cardiologist who was used to dealing with these things. But I think to have that kind of opportunity to revisit the business structure of what we were doing in cardiology without much of a business background, I think uh, I feel good about. So I, I thought that went well, and I think you know the vendors appreciated. it. I think the healthcare system appreciated it, so it worked out.
0: Worked out. Yeah how 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 was how was that received by? Because I think on the vendor side, that's kind of the, our holy grail, right? Is we we don't want to be a pest, we don't want to be bothered. we just want to make sure that the right technology gets to the right clinician. So uh, on the other side, though, did they, did the cardiologists kind of pr- participate in that, and, and how was kind of I the did. feedback I from did. from that program? Yeah, they were
1: all. Uh... The cardiologists were all available to, there to see all of the presentations and everything else, and we had some internal discussions about what was going on. I think, honestly, in some ways, um, you know, the healthcare systems sort of enjoy splintering uh, the vendors, right? Because they think that that kind of uh, that less unified opportunity maybe gives the healthcare system side more leverage. And, from my perspective, at, at least, and that may be true financially. But you miss the opportunity to have the synergy across different spectrums, right? And you lose the opportunity for research and investigation and clinical trials. If a vendor really sees you as a partner as opposed to a transactional entity, which is what most hospitals, I think, like, I I just am not a fan. I don't agree. I, I think that the best way to have synergy is a true partnership, not just a transactional, I will buy this pacemaker for a certain amount. I'll buy twenty thousand of them and I get a certain amount of of consideration because of that on other products, which is how most healthcare works in the current milieu. I don't I think that's a missed opportunity. I think that's purely just dollars and cents. And that's not what healthcare is about. It just isn't. It's a You're wrong. The dollars matter, but is that really why we're here? No, it's not. And that's part of the breakdown in the healthcare system currently in the U.S. anyway. I think we've lost sight of why we're actually here. We're
0: here to take care of people, not to get rich. Take care of people. Still got to be number one. 100%. Yeah, well, so let's switch gears and maybe kind of the bottom 10 where, where there were some challenges and, and why were there maybe some of those challenges in your experience? I
1: wouldn't call it it. A- a challenge more of a, a humorous anecdote, I guess. So I've I've had people come in and um on the vendor side wanting to argue with me about something, you know, present data on heart failure or cardiomyopathy or cardio oncology. And they'll be talking to me and I'm like and they're you know, sometimes we'll kind of debate. And then it'll turn out it'll be a paper that I was a co-author on. And it's just like listen, I've been doing this a while uh, and the stuff you're referencing is actually stuff that I wrote, right? So sometimes I think there's an opportunity to understand, you know, providers have been doing this for a while and we invest a lot of our life. You can't just Wikipedia this and get up to speed in 10 minutes. So sometimes that's an opportunity maybe for people just to step back and understand, you know, what they are. And, and the flip of that is obviously the, the vendor side understands exactly what we were just talking about a whole lot better than the cardiologist does, the business component, right? So it's back to being a partnership. You know, don't, don't, don't come to me trying to lecture me about the science if it can be avoided because I probably have a little bit of the understanding of the science, but I probably have a limited understanding of the business opportunities in general as a provider. And so I think those are the two things where let's understand where the strengths are. Let's meet in the middle and work together.
0: Yeah, and I think that goes back to preparation, but being able to you know, leverage your yeah. responsibility. Well, good.
1: All right, let's see what's going It's a lot. You know, learning cardiology in a weekend, kind of hard. So, I, I mean, it's yeah. one of those things that I think just trying to understand where both people's strengths are and leveraging those are opportunities, right? And that's how you advance the field.
0: Yeah, and I think it's going to be even more interesting to see as things kind of you know, translate into the into the digital world where there's a lot of unknowns. You know, both on you know the clinical validity, the the business model. So we'll we'll dig into some of that more. But um, all right, let's Absolutely. switch gears a little bit. So you and I, even when we talked there in Memphis, uh, we realized that we are both big basketball fans. And so we do a segment kind of highlighting some leaders. Um, so we're going to do the starting five uh, special edition for you. Uh, so let's focus on maybe some healthcare leaders that you admire or, you know, helped yeah. you. And then yeah. and then we're actually going to put our best of all time NBA, you and I, as well. So we'll focus on the healthcare <laughs> leaders first, and then yeah. we'll, 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 we'll put together a sense. starting five. I love it. <laughs>
1: But, well, healthcare wise, I'm pretty cardiocentric, so I apologize ahead of time. I'm not looking too far out of the cardiovascular space. Um, but I would be remiss. So two two starters, I don't know, they would both be jockeying for who was, you know, the, the all star on the team, but there's a guy named Michael DeBakey. So he was my boss in Houston and uh, for all practical purposes one of the you know, the grandfathers of cardiac and vascular surgery. And then one of his counterparts was also my boss, him, Denton Cooley. And so if you want to Google those folks, you'll get a few million hits. Um, kind of really uh, significant folks in aortic, sort of the pioneers of aortic surgery, pioneers of artificial heart technology, of mechanical uh, circulatory support. So lots of things that they were a part of and drove. And so they would definitely be there because they, they really set the tone for an entire world when it comes to how we approach cardiac surgery and, and a lot of the um, sort of ripple effects of all of that. The technologies we use today are secondary to those guys and their efforts. So I think that's a pretty uh, a pretty big deal. Um Uh, The other one is I'm going to put a female on the team. So, you know, I like, uh, I I like to be um, sort of outside the box thinker. And, and um, when it comes to how we look at medicine and people that historically haven't gotten as much credit as they should have Um, a mentor, I had, her name was Jacqueline Noonan. So if you're medicine, you've probably heard of a thing called Noonan syndrome. She was my mentor when I was a resident and, uh, on the basketball side would be like a Muggsy Bogues equivalent. So she was about five foot two, but an absolute dynamo. And one of the people that taught me how to think, how to be uh, considerate and kind and compassionate and devoted. Um, One of the most amazing people I've ever met and my career in large part is responsible. I I owe her uh, where I am was much driven um, by her. I think, uh here locally there's someone that i would name and he's the ceo of of uh of st jude children's hospital which is where i do some research and his name is jim downing so he's uh one of the top 100 healthcare professionals globally recognized consistently and it's because i think he's in charge of what i think healthcare should be um, St. Jude represents all that is good, and it gets away from a lot of the things we've been talking about, and we'll be talking about jockeying about RVUs and and money and financial sort of driven systems in healthcare. St. Jude's really back to putting the patients and their families first, right? And if you can pay, great. If you can't, you still get world class care. And I, and I and from my perspective, and I travel the globe, I think St. Jude is the most recognized brand and healthcare on the planet. It's just, and I think it's bigger than a lot of the names that will probably come up in these conversations with other people. I would say St. Jude is probably the most recognizable name and definitely the most favorably recognized name. Um, I mean, what they do is absolutely spectacular. And then I think lastly is, is a former CEO of the Mayo Clinic who is a mentor of mine. His name is Bob Waller, uh, also a physician But once again, the Mayo uh, does a great job, but there's sort of kind of three-legged stool that people have emulated over time, this idea of doing good clinical care, of doing research and education. Everybody always says, oh, we came up with that. It actually was created at Mayo, and that's where those sorts of ideas come from. But you see a lot of healthcare systems saying that, right? So it's our three-legged stool. We do this. It's like, yeah, that's great. But someone was doing it before you. And they do it really well. And it's the male Clinic. So that would probably be my starting five.
0: Yeah, that's a rock star list right there. And appreciate the shout outs. We'll make sure and, and, and tag all those folks for all the credit that they get. Um, let's, 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 let's switch gears and now go to your actual NBA all time. And maybe let's start with what you, you and I will go back and forth. Let's start with maybe the guards, a point guard and shooting guard. You give me you know your two and then I'll, I'll give you my two.
1: So my guards are going to probably be MJ and the big O. So I got to go Oscar. Uh, We lived in Cincinnati a long time. And uh, uh, obviously, I don't think many people debate Jordan. Uh, A lot of folks, I think, contemporary, you know, in in the contemporary 2023, uh, don't know much about Oscar. Dude was a star and absolutely amazing. You look at his numbers and the consistency. And if you watch ESPN you see his name on there all the time when it comes to records that are current or trying to be broken. He's on there. So I mean he he's fantastic. So I think those I I did a lot of thinking about this, but I think those are probably my my two.
0: Those are good. I have Michael Jordan as well and I'm here I'm here local in Charlotte, so I'm going to add Steph Curry and maybe some some new flavor. Uh, both those both those have the Charlotte North Carolina connection and uh, yeah, Steph. I think the way the way he shoots. We've talked about it before. Uh, so I'm going to go those with my guards. I, I can not argue with Steph. He he's the best pure shooting
1: player probably in the history of the NBA. I mean, there is no doubt about it. So
0: yeah, but, still still has some some room some room to go too, which is exciting. Yet, Oscar or
1: Steph, you're doing okay. <laughs>
0: Perfect. Well, let's, let's, let's move over to a couple forwards then. And I guess here's where the, the, the range can, can go, but I'll let you start with your two forwards.
1: So I'm going to stick LeBron in one of those positions. And then I debated this one. I'm still kind of some equipoise. Um, I'd either go mailman or um, maybe Tim Duncan. Uh, so we have some history. Carl Malone actually uh, still lives in uh, north louisiana where my wife grew up and so we we have interactions with those people and have a long standing and he graduated from the same university my wife did which is louisiana tech not many people know carmelone and terry bradshaw graduates of louisiana tech so star and you know he he was on pace to ultimately get have the scoring title so i mean it's pretty hard to argue But then I look back, even though I wasn't a huge Spurs fan, it's hard to argue against Tim Duncan not being – I mean, dude was transformative and just an amazing player, a dominant force. So um, if I had to pick between the two, I'd probably go with Tim, but either one of those I would be okay with.
0: Agreed. And and I grew up actually going to Wake Forest basketball camp. My dad was a high school basketball (laughs) coach. and So I was a big demon deacon. So, yes, I think – I, I I debated there, Tim Duncan. I also went with LeBron James and then I, I guess with my team, Larry Bird. So we're gonna be running and gunning um with Steph Curry and Larry Bird and I've always appreciated all his all the stories of just the, the competitiveness, right? And uh you growing up an athlete oh, yeah. and all the the legendary competitiveness, a legendary work ethic, and I, I think you can't go wrong with any of the ones you outlined, um, but uh, Bird definitely would be on my list. I'm a fan, too. Uh, I, I wanted a pair of those Converse, you know, he
1: had when uh, those green and whites, so no doubt. Uh, yeah, you put him and Steph on the court together, that's going to be fun. All the crazy passing and the shooting, you know. Bird will do some over the head, behind the back, and then Steph will shoot it from half court. So, uh, I mean, that would be pretty good. So,
0: yeah. And then the final one, I guess this position is changing as we speak in real time. But I guess what we consider the center, right, as you have, you know, now Giannis and all these other guys playing, you know, I guess center center guard forward. Uh, But, you know, what what, what center would you would you put? It's got to be Shaq.
1: I I mean, uh, dude was just too. And, And I think that we didn't call this into the discussion, but it was a part of my decision making is what kind of people are they as well? He is a generous soul and he just seems like genuinely just such a nice guy, always having fun, but always trying to help people. But when you see all the places he's been and and the impact he had, he's a force. The diesels, he's the man. So uh, he would probably be my he'd probably be my pick.
0: Shaq was mine, too. I don't think you can. I don't. (laughs) I don't think of center without the big Shaq logo, right? Or whatever he had. So, um, well, good. Well, We'll, we'll we'll leave it up to debate. I think our list. I I, I would go you know with, with both of our lists, but uh, we'll be interested to see what all the listeners and everybody thinks because nothing fires up a debate. And, and I guess perfect segue. So uh, we do a MJ versus LeBron debate uh, here uh, on the podcast, and uh, usually give it a healthcare flavor. So uh, I'll save you know I'll save your actual MJ versus LeBron for another time. But uh, we've been digging in a little bit to. Uh, oh, you're 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 ready to give it. Oh, I even so before. Yeah, that's easy. Yeah, exactly. So we'll, we'll we'll go we'll go fee for service versus value based care, and then maybe if we have some time, we'll uh, we'll, we'll let you you know go on the real MJ versus LeBron debate.
1: Yeah. So uh, value based care still has to be the target of United States healthcare. I, I, you know, I see it every day. Um, you see, uh, RVU centric kind of models really are about throughput, right? When you think about it. And it also encourages inappropriate testing, other things that even though the government has tried to crack down on and we've written guidelines as cardiologists for appropriate use of care kind of things, it's still abused. And I think it only encourages a um, kind of a, a conveyor belt approach to medicine. And I don't know about you, but if that's my kid or my mom or somebody, that's not what I want. And most of the time, people are great with just let's just shuttle them through until it's them. right? It's like, oh, no, no, no. I want mm-hmm. you to spend two hours with me. Well, it doesn't work that way. You wanted the other RVU centric idea, So you get 15 minutes and, yeah, we're going to try and delve into heart failure and all its complexities in 15 minutes. Good luck with that. It is a problem. It is not the best thing. It is not the best thing for patients. It may look great economically on the paper now until we really do go more towards value-based incentivization. But at the end of the day, I don't think anyone in their right mind actually wants that for their families. It's like, I just want you to see me as quickly as possible so 80 other people can be seen. That's not optimal healthcare. It isn't, and it never will be. If you're just doing something like something that maybe doesn't require interaction to a great degree. If it's just there for a flu vaccine, maybe you can do lots of patients that way, right? We talk about the complexities of cardiovascular disease and the implications, meaning dying. Um, You need to stop and think about that. This is someone's life that you are doing. And it's not about throughput then. It's about trying to stop and make sure that they are optimally managed and optimally informed and optimally educated, right? All of that. You can't do that with the conveyor belt methodology, not in the current iteration. You might do it with other technologies like we have talked about. You know, if you're leveraging things that are virtual, if you're leveraging things that people can read asynchronously online and do videos, maybe, right? But if you're trying to cram the awareness, the education, the diagnosis, the understanding, all of that into such a compartmentalized visit, it's not possible. It, it's just not possible. So I think I I get the idea of wanting to increase the numbers for access, which I agree with access is a problem, but we have to come up with a different strategy to
0: do that. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And specific to cardiology, are you seeing the tide, the tide shift? How many years do you think are we just in the beginning stages of it? Um, What do you, what do you see as kind of on, on the horizon? And, and let's just say a, you know, a geographical area like Memphis, right? Um, and and where do you, where do you, where do you see? Uh, do you see the big players coming into a place like Memphis, or um, do you see the health systems kind of leading the yeah. charge? I think um, I
1: think I, I like to be somewhat disruptive, so this will come out in this statement, I guess. So I think um, I think Memphis is still a little bit slow uh, to move in that sort of value based direction that our systems are still. Very much uh, on the um, kind of productivity RVU kind of centric idea. I think it is starting to change, and to their, you know, to our systems credit, which obviously we're a part of all of those things, I think it is starting to improve, but not at the speed that I would like uh, to see. What I would advocate for the listeners and, and, the, and the consumers of, of this is that part of that really needs to be at a grassroots level is that, you know, how do you make these sorts of changes? Well, you make these changes through your payor strategies and through government, right? Ultimately, the government sort of what, if we think about value-based care, that's mostly being driven because of federal sort of legislation, right? And if you want more of that, then that's probably the mechanism. Now, is it going to happen quickly? No. But is that the way you institute longitudinal and sustainable change? Probably. So the point is if you're relying on the healthcare system to always come up with these ideas for you that's probably not necessarily the best strategy. You know what's best for you. There's only one expert on me and you're looking at him. Same for you, right? And what is best for you and your family, you are the people that can make that decision. Not an insurance company, not a healthcare system. You and your family, now they can they provide you with information and resources and the needed Things to make an informed decision, absolutely. But at the end of the day, if you want to see things differently, I think that that's the mechanism to do it, is to really start saying, at a sweeping level, at a governmental level, we need more opportunities to improve value, right? And the way that we think we're going to improve value is not just dollars and cents, it's about taking the best care of patients. And a lot of that is not about health care, a lot is about health. The prevention of disease is where we should be investing money and time and resource. Caring for end stage heart failure is very expensive and the outcomes are still not very good. The prevention of healthcare is or of of heart failure is way cheaper and a whole lot better for everyone.
0: Period. Yes, couldn't could, couldn't agree more. And I think the technologies that you and I have been following, the innovation, and um, those go hand in hand with with what you outlined. With technology is great, but that's not going to uncover the underlying business model, and they, they both have to work. And there's, I think, cardiology is a as it should be a space to watch uh, because there's a lot of innovation going on. Um, you know, where where providers, tech companies are taking full risk. But um, I, I agree with you. Some some of that I think is going to be good spike in innovation, but how, how do you sustain it? And I think going back to the grassroots is, is really the only way, um, yeah. you know, they there with that. Yeah. Well, good. So we do some advice for a rookie. So you obviously have a very unique, um, you know, <laughs> a, a, a unique path, right? So as you look at uh, some of the listeners who are maybe entering their MHA or entering, you know, as, as a med student, what kind of advice do you have and, and where do you see things going, you know, when they kind of are, um, are going and, and progressing in their career, both, uh, as a doctor, but then also too the blend of business now with kind of what you've been doing with Wharton. Yeah, I think,
1: um, exciting choice, you know, uh, I can't imagine doing anything different than what I do. Um, so I applaud you for that. I think what I would say is make sure you're passionate about it, uh, especially if you go into being a provider. Uh, it's a big lift for you and your family, right? You you miss a few holidays and a few things here and there and a little bit of sleep. Um, it's, it's not easy. So you better make sure you really like it because if you didn't, it wouldn't be all that fun. Um, what I would say also is don't sell yourself short. Um, you know, we talk in society nowadays about 2.0s and all this kind of stuff. And I have I've sort of lived that is that I've iterated throughout my career. I mean, now I'm getting a business degree, which a lot of people don't understand them. Like, why would you do that? And it's really because I want to make a better version of me. And how can I make a difference? And how can I impact lives? And I really think that that's a, the best path, at least for, for me to accomplish that. And my point is, is once you get into a part of your career, don't just stop, keep learning, keep thinking, keep evolving, right? Because who knows, you may be the next surgeon general, maybe the next FDA commissioner, maybe the next president or CEO of J&J, who knows? Those are opportunities. And just always keep learning, always keep revisiting what you do and see if, you know, do the self-checks. Are you satisfied? Do you think you're impacting things the way that you want to? And if not, change it.
0: Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And I've been fortunate right on the on the vendor side, but working for early stage startups and there are a lot of cool opportunities. And I've gotten to collaborate with very interesting um, physicians who you call it by day are you know truly impacting in, in clinic and saving patients' lives. And they also too, for that better version of themselves, want to collaborate and be a part of, you know, some instrumental change on the tech side. And um I think that there's going to be more of those opportunities, right? And um and and making sure I'm sure through I'm I'm sure through med school and in all those grueling times it's tough to even come up for air, much less Explore some of those, um, but there, there's certainly going to hopefully be more of those opportunities out there as as we progress and technology, uh, you know, further deepens. Love it.
1: Agree, and I agree. Your your path's been great, Josh. So uh, everyone can learn from these things and just keep learning. Keep learning. Perfect.
0: And finally, we do it on the clock sales plug. So um, just a plug for anything, you know, what what, what do you have working on um, on a personal professional goal? This is this is your time. And and where can maybe people find you if they want some more information?
1: Yeah, it's very kind. Um, So a part of the business behind the getting the MBA was really to 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 learn, uh, have the opportunity to transition more into industry and And that, you know, conventionally sometimes is in a large device or pharma company, as you are well aware of. Um, But also um, in in different veins, maybe um, helping companies that aren't traditionally medical with things like health and wellness. So a lot of companies around the globe are hiring people to be chief health and wellness officers. So uh, Pepsi Cola or Delta Airlines, places like that. And that's something I'm very interested in is, is working for large corporations that do great things, but nothing really in a medical space, right? And how could we come in and help those companies with their insurer strategies and then with their wellness strategies, and all these other sorts of things that add value, no doubt, economically, but more importantly, help the workforce stay healthy. Or if they do have a health problem, make sure that they get the right health care in a timely way, get them back to being productive with the company. So that's really where I'm, I'm, I'm really uh, thinking strongly I would like to be. And so anyone who's interested in learning more about that, as you know, I have a pretty extensive history in medicine and now a reasonable uh, standing, I think, with Wharton on the business side, it's kind of been a nice marriage or what i would say becoming bilingual so i can speak the medicine and speak the business and and hopefully do that to help companies uh, move forward
0: perfect well excited to follow the journey and dr jeffries thank you for joining us and looking forward to getting everybody's i'm, I'm sure the the starting five will be highly contested but uh, appreciate you sharing your experiences and I guess we'll follow and see. I, you know, I, I guess I maybe will jump on the Memphis bandwagon since we can't play two-team too go. basketball here in Charlotte. Before we
1: end, I, I want to say MJ is between LeBron, so I can spark more debate because nobody dominated more. And if he wanted to, if he wanted to take you out of the game, he did it. I mean, I don't think there's anybody more dominant. So that's just my my view. But I'm sure I'll get some pushback
0: on that one. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of Inside the Digital Health and Sales Locker Room. I appreciate your support. If you're interested, make sure to follow, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or right on Substack. And make sure if you're interested to subscribe and share digitalhealthlockerroom.substack.com for some more podcasts and weekly newsletter updates on all topics around digital health and sales.